about a man called Nicholas Winton. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Uh, he made the news when he passed away. It was, I think it was maybe about four or five years ago. And he was a, a London stockbroker who during World War II traveled to Prague with a mission in mind to help rescue Jewish children from the Nazi death camps. And thanks to his skill and determination, he was able to save around 669 kids from these camps. Here's the striking thing about Nicholas Winton. No one knew he did it for 50 years. It wasn't until his wife, she didn't even know, found a scrapbook in their attic and she realized what he had done. And so then the news about him began to spread. And one of the most moving videos you can see, you can watch this on YouTube, is a clip of him in 1988 where he is in a TV studio audience as an older man and he's sitting next to this woman. And Nicholas Winton is completely unaware of who this lady sitting next to him is until the TV host says that the person he is next to was one of those kids that he had rescued. At that point, everyone in the audience starts applauding, and this woman, all she can do is hold his hand and say, thank you, thank you. It's a real tear-jerking video, let me tell you. But what the TV host does next would have anyone greeting. She asks the entire audience, is there anyone else here who owes their life to Nicholas Winton? At which point, every single one of them stands up and applauds him. A room full of people that he saved, why are they there? Just to say thank you. Now, in many ways, that encapsulates the feeling of Psalm 107. This is a song of God's people saying thank you to him. Look at verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Uh, that word redeemed, it means to be bought back. It means to be rescued. And so this psalm is calling all God's people to give thanks to him for his rescue, to celebrate his goodness. But the psalmist knows that we are so prone to forget that. And so in verse 4 to 32, he gives us four illustrations of God's redeeming love that help us see it afresh. Now, that psalm was written 500 years before the birth of Jesus. Uh, at this time, God's people were one nation, the nation of Israel. And at the time this was written, they had just returned from being prisoners in a foreign land. They were prisoners because they had chosen to ignore God. They did some of the worst things you could imagine. They'd rebelled against him. And God sent them off as prisoners to the land of Babylon. And they knew that they should just be wiped out for how they treated God. But God didn't wipe them out. He kept them and he brought them back to Israel. As verse three says in the Psalm, he gathered them from the east, the west, the north, and the south. 
And so these four illustrations we're about to read are describing this one event, God's rescue of his people back from exile. Now, here's what this means for us. We're not returning from exile, but that rescue in the Old Testament was always to point us forward to a greater rescue that God would do, the rescue that we have sung about tonight, the rescue that he would do for all of us through Jesus, not from exile, but from our sin. Jesus buys us back to God. He redeems us from all over the world, north, south, east, and west, even, as we'll hear tonight, from the Hilltown. And so we can sing this psalm with an even greater insight into God's enduring love. In fact, each of the four illustrations are used in the New Testament to describe what Jesus has done for all of us. So if you are the redeemed of the Lord tonight, think on these things. Let's remind ourselves of what God's love is like and why we have a thousand reasons to say thank you. Four illustrations, here's the first one. They all begin with R. That's how I roll. God's redeeming love is like retrieving the lost. It's the image in verse four to nine. Uh, We have a picture here of someone being driven from their home, wandering about with no idea where to go. Think of images of uh, refugees that we see on the news coming from war-torn countries like Syria or Ukraine. Verse four, some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty and their lives ebbed away. Picture someone wandering in the desert, homeless, lost, dying of hunger and thirst. That's the image, a dire situation. But look what changes it. Verse six, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. We're going to see this in all these illustrations. The turning point in someone's life comes when they get on their knees and they cry out to God for help. It's all you have to do. And what does God do in every situation? He reverses it. He flips it on its head. So you've got this hungry desert wanderer with no home to go to. And what does God do when they cry out? Verse 7, he led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. He took them home. They were lost. They cried for help. And God took them home. Now that idea of being lost is an image that Jesus uses to describe all of us in relation to God. He says we are lost, wandering around, searching for truth and meaning and purpose and not finding it. We don't know our place in a world that seems too big. And the reason the Bible would say we are so lost is because we are separate from the God who made us. We are far from him. Our sin has alienated us from God. We don't seem to get anywhere in life and in the end, we start to hunger and thirst for something more. That's how the psalmist speaks of these lost people. I wonder if some of you can relate to that as your story. Before you knew Jesus, you just felt lost. There was a hunger in your soul. Hunger that you tried to fill with relationships or money or drugs or alcohol. 
and nothing was satisfying. The things of this world are not enough because they don't last. There was a famous poet who once said this, there is no joy this world can give that it does not eventually take away. It's just a breath. But Jesus, the Son of God, came to save us and to give us something more substantial and lasting. He says in Luke 19, I have come to seek and to save the lost. He came to forgive us and to take us home. And honestly, that's the feeling of being a Christian. It's the feeling of being found. And that's so satisfactory because it's like, that's what I'm made for. I don't need anything else apart from Jesus. It's like, as verse 9 says, being filled with good things. And so redeemed of the Lord here tonight, let us give thanks to Christ for his unfailing love in finding us when we were lost and satisfying us when we were empty. Let's give thanks for the wondrous work of bringing us home to him. It's the first illustration. Here's the second illustration. God's redeeming love is not just like re retrieving the lost. It's also like releasing the rebellious, releasing the rebellious prisoner. Look at verse 10. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains. So, so think of the jail. It's not a cushy jail cell. Uh, one of the boys in Charleston was telling me that Perth prison was like a hotel. I'm not sure that's true. This prison here is not like that. Death, darkness, affliction, chains. So we've moved from an illustration of being lost in a wide, unknowable world to an illustration of being trapped in a small, dark one. I wonder how many of us can relate to both those. Isn't that what we often feel about life? I don't know my place, it's so big, but at the same time, I also feel just trapped. But notice why in verse 11 these people are trapped. Because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. Their imprisonment is a result of the fact that they have rebelled against God. The chains they are bound with are chains of rebellion. So this was Israel at the time of the exile. But here we also have another picture of what humanity is like without God. Not just lost in the open, but trapped in the darkness. There's a bond upon us that we cannot break. It's our sin. Look, all of us have mucked up when it comes to God. We have said and thought and done stuff that is against him. That's a problem. That's the most serious problem you will face because it has eternal consequences. And we can't escape it. And the ironic thing is that, that we think doing what we want, well, that's what will make us free. The truth is that just confirms that we are slaves, slaves to sin, bound in darkness. My wee boy, Finley, he's only uh, five. He was recently in trouble for something. It's just a small thing. And he was really upset about it. And one thing he said to me was, Daddy, I don't know why I do these naughty things. I don't want to do them. It's like the Apostle Paul in Romans 7. It's all of us, isn't it? It's in our nature, and it would seem so hopeless. It's like a chain that binds us. But praise God for his steadfast love. 
That's why Jesus came, to set us free from ourselves. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord has come on him to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to set the oppressed free. And he's not talking about opening the jail cells. He's talking about setting us free from our sin. That's what he does. And he does it by taking our punishment on himself. When we cry out in distress, the distress of our sin, he brings us out of the darkness, out of the dingy cell, and into the light of his love. That's why a famous Christian hymn will say this, describe what it's like to be a Christian. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin in nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. So redeemed of the Lord, let's give thanks to Christ for his unfailing love to sinners like us his wondrous works in setting us free. Third illustration, God's redeeming love is like retrieving the lost wanderer, releasing the rebellious prisoner, and thirdly, it's like restoring the foolish sick. Verse 17, the illustration moves again. We're moving out of the jail now, and we're heading to nine wells. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Sick people, because of their folly, but they turn from their folly and cry out to God and he answers. Verse 20, he sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. What's God's redeeming love like? It's like being found when you were lost, being released when you should be in chains, and it's like being given a new life when you should be dead. Some of you have gone through some pretty severe sicknesses. You may even have been at death's door, and then you've come back. And when you do, you realize how dangerous your condition was, how fateful, and you realize how grateful you are to the doctors and what they've done. In the Gospels, Jesus heals many people. And do you know how he often does it? He does it the way God is described as doing it here in verse 20. He does it with his word. It shows that he has the power and the authority as God's son. God's king is God's healer. And first and foremost, Jesus wants to heal you from all your wrongdoing. You see, in the Bible, sin is not just seen as a chain, but it's seen as a sickness within our heart. So in Mark 2.17, Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I've come to call the sinners, the sick. If you feel that you are too far gone, that you have messed up too much, you are exactly the kind of person that Jesus calls. Come to him and he will heal you of your sin. And when you die, he will raise you to new life with him. To a life with no tears and no sickness and no death. I remember an older gentleman who used to be at this church. And he wasn't very well. And every time you would ask him, how are you? 
he would respond by saying this, well, I'll be better yet. That's the hope of the gospel. Redeemed of the Lord, let's give thanks to Christ for his steadfast love and healing us of our sin and giving us new life. Let his praise, his wondrous deeds, and tell of his works in songs of joy. Final illustration. God's redeeming love is like retrieving the lost wanderer, releasing the rebellious prisoner, restoring the foolish sick. And finally, it's like being rescued after being trapped in a storm. Rescuing those trapped in the storm. That's the last image we get in verse 23 to 32. The poetry here is just beautiful. Um, It really paints an image of a chaotic storm. So think not windy day, think being on a small ancient wooden boat with 50 foot high waves, a boat caught in a tempest that as verse 26 says, mounts up to the heavens and down to the depths. Even the bravest person will cower at the ferocity of nature. I mean, I get terrified just sailing on the the Calmac ferry from Olipool to Lewis. I don't know if you've ever done that crossing. It's a bit better now. It used, to be, it used to be brutal. In fact, I remember being on it one time and people were walking about like those described in verse 27 as reeling and staggering like drunkards at their wits' ends. This is way more extreme than that. The whole image is of a large chaotic thing of this world that is out with our control. And in their panic, the sailors in this boat, they cry out to God. And what does God do? It's what he does in every illustration. He reverses their fortunes. He flips it round. He stills the water. He hushes the sea. Do you know, there's probably nothing more terrifying than a storm-tossed sea. And there's nothing more peaceful than a calm, still body of water. We see an exact replica of this illustration in Jesus' life. He's in the boat with his disciples in the middle of a storm and then he gets up and he stands and he shouts at the wind and the waves, be quiet. And in an instant, the storm is calm. And Jesus' disciples are terrified and they turn to each other and they say, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? they should have read Psalm 107. If they did, they would know exactly who this is. Not just any person. This is the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth. And he has power and control over every event in nature and in our life. No matter how chaotic, he can bring calm out of the chaos. And so redeemed of the Lord, let us give thanks For the chaos in our lives that seems to overwhelm us is in the hands of someone who loves you dearly. And we know he loves because he delivered us from something far more terrifying than the ferocity of a storm, and that was the ferocity of God's wrath. I love verse 30 in this psalm. Look at that with me. Isn't that marvelous? They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. If you're feeling the pressure of life and the weight of suffering and everything just seems so out with your control, remember the one who controls the storms. He will take us to our desired haven. He will lead us through the chaos 
to the eternal peace of his presence. Redeemed of the Lord, what reason we have to give thanks. His love for us, shown through Jesus, is overwhelming. You know, the rest of the psalm celebrates how God reversed his fortunes, how he flips it round on his head. And we're going to see in a moment as Gaynor and Billy, who have been redeemed by God, will tell their story, how God has reversed their lives. But I just want to close by drawing your attention to the very last words in this psalm in verse 43. Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. Remember, if you are to be wise, if you're to navigate life well, remember, ponder, consider the love that God has shown you. It's a love that is not weak or flimsy. It's a love that is steadfast and sure. It's a love that is not dependent upon you or on me, but is dependent upon him. It's a love that looks like him hanging on a cross like a piece of meat for my sin, dying for my failure. It's a love like nothing else. And tonight as we ponder it, we just want to say to him, thank you. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the steadfast love that you have shown to us. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that your love endures forever. Thank you that there is nothing in heaven on earth, no power that could separate us from the love that you have shown to us through Christ Jesus. Father, we were lost, but you found us. We were bound in the chains of rebellion and sin, but you set us free. We were foolishly heading to the grave away from you, but you restored us and gave us new life. We were lost, panicking in the chaos of this world, but you gave us peace. And you will lead us to our desired haven. For you are the God of grace and mercy. Your love is like nothing else. And tonight we have many things that we want to say thank you for. But above all, we just want to say thank you for the love that you have shown to us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.